So, what are you noticing? Standing out to you as you just kind of engage with experience or reality in this way. If you have questions or comments, it seem like it'd be worth exploring or helpful to bring forth, then please. Yeah, James. The spin class. <laughs> the spin class. I believe that's what you're listening to. <laughs> ah, is that what that was with the music? And is, it, is, is a spin class a thing with bicycles? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's other exercise classes, but I'm guessing with all the hooping and hauling, that's probably what it, it was. Um, I know for me personally, I find music the most distracting thing mm. in a meditation. Uh -huh. And I have to work exceptionally hard when there's music to mm. keep my points of reference intact. Because if you didn't work exceptionally hard, <laughs> what, what might happen? Uh, I would, my mind wants to analyze the music, uh -huh. basically, so that the mind starts working on the music and chewing it over in its content. Well, that sounds like working hard as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're caught between working hard on analyzing the music yeah. and working hard to not analyze the music. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a dilemma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hold on, hold on, hold on. There's, there's more here. <laughs> You're not going to let me off the hook, are you? <laughs> so, you know, I asked you what did you, what might happen if you didn't work hard to kind of try to keep the music at bay somehow out of your mind, and you said, oh, then I'd be, you know, working in some way, be involved. Yes. So I'm wondering if it's possible to work less hard, right? To what if you weren't resisting the music? Your senses, if you didn't resist the music, you would, by habit, just go into it and start doing something with the music mm -hmm. there. But maybe that's not necessary either. It's not necessary with the construction sounds. It's easy to let go of the car horns, the humming of the air conditioner. Right. But organized sound like that. Right. And you're a musician, right? Yes. So you have a particular yeah. relationship to music. Exactly. I, so yeah. that I get. And organized sound really hooks the mind in a way. Even a rhythm, I think even studies suggest that a simple rhythm really hooks our attention. Okay. And it's very hard for us to get off. Okay. So it hooks the attention. Yeah. Right? There's n some things hook the attention. There's nothing we can do about it. Watch. Could you do anything? Could you not have your attention go here? No. Right? Attention moves in three w different ways. Right? It moves by... Uh, when there's something in intense enough to hook the attention, right? Or in this case, music. Or if there's nothing particular that grabs the attention, then the second way attention will move is just by habit. Yeah. Right? It'll go where it's used to going. <laughs> the usual old stuff that we replay or rehash or, or anticipate, etc., etc. And then where's the third place attention can go is by practice. Like int we can actually intentionally direct. So most people, all that they just, their attention is going between being compelled by something intense and then when there's a lack of intensity wandering around in the habits and then something new intense happens and they go off again. And that's the story of life. Right? And then you die. <laughs> but we, we, where some of us say, well, that seems a little bit kind of overly conditioned and right being pulled back so let me actually train my attention to move in another way 
very helpful, but we easily generate the idea then that if I'm, att I'm att intending to put my attention somewhere particular, then if it goes to any of those other two places, that's problematic in some way, right? In other words, oh, I somehow shouldn't get hooked. But like you say, you some things you can't stop them pulling on the attention. So once attention goes, oh, music, oh, beat, oh, spin class, right? Well, so there's the attention there. What's happening that's creating the rub of either working at the analysis or analysis or working to not go to the music? Well, for starters, I was happy to pat myself on the back very slightly for giving up the annoyance factor at the beginning. Okay. Right? Okay. So that's one leap that right. sometimes we have to make if we're meditating or whatever. We, so you let that go and say, well, it's okay. It's okay. We, we all coexist. So that's, that's one level. Um, but in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the attention, um, you know, when we're trying to get that fine attention um, on our breath especially, uh, as you say, it can be very difficult to do in the okay. first place because it's not the most stimulating thing. Right. So that's one place where there's a, the problem starts, right? There's the idea that my attention is going there, but I want it to go here. And then you're in a battle, right? The Absolutely. hook is to the music, yeah. and the practice insistence is to the breath, and there you sit, back and forth. Music, no, breath. Yeah. Music, yeah. breath. Right, in tug of war. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe given that the hook of the music is so strong that it turns into a battle between music and breath, maybe breath isn't a good object in that moment. What might be, in the line of you know, spacious and a fine attention, what might be a good object? Or a good, rather an object, a good focus for being present. Or another way of saying that, what might be a free relationship with, in this case, an unpleasant uh, musical interlude? good question. Right. So there's maybe a bit of a clue. First you say, you know, you that, that sense of recognizing that it's unpleasant but that you can you don't have to get involved, you don't have to turn unpleasant into annoyance. Yes. Right? Unpleasant is the first arrow in Buddhist speak and annoyance is the second arrow, which is the optional one. Right? Right. And when we notice that, oh, there can be an object, unpleasant object, and I don't have to get involved in it. The not getting involved in it is liberating, right? Even maybe small scale liberating, but maybe that is a more helpful or important or, or radically transformative even focus for attention than breath, right? That to let your fine attention go to there. That there's, there's an object that I don't like, attention gets hooked around it, and, but I can actually choose to recognize the tendency to annoyance and just soften that a little bit. Soften that a little bit. Soften that a little bit. Attention keeps getting hooked there, and maybe each time attention gets hooked there, the annoyance factor, because it's conditioned in me, still gets to arise. But every time I notice that, and I go, soften the annoyance. Soften the annoyance. Right there, maybe there's, without making it into a battle between music and breath, without having to work in any way, there's the set just to be able to notice, wow, the fact that there can be even a glimmer, 
a shade of free abiding around something that by habit I would make a drama out of. To let that, that's way more important than the breath in that moment. And to let yourself feel the freeness of the space around the object. And it's not just the freeness around that object, it's then you're actually, you're potentizing in the recognition and the acknowledgement and the hanging out in that, you're potentizing your capacity to have a free relationship with any unpleasant experience. What do you think? Well, given that it's stopped now, I can't help but think it had a purpose to lead to this discussion. So All right. I will, I will take that. Right, right. You know, often what seems like very small, ordinary insight, like you know that, right? You've been practicing for a long time. You know, like, oh yeah, you know, first arrow, second arrow, unpleasant objects, you know, annoyance or not. But that simple insight, it's like we tend to overlook the radical implications of a simple insight. And then we overlay this idea of practice, oh, breath, breath, got, got to get back to the breath. One of the biggest problems in meditation is I've got to get back to the breath. <laughs> so, you know, if, if, if there's nothing else compelling the attention and mind is just wandering in a vague way, it's good to, to be able to bring it to a certain object, that attention training. Like we were just that third kind of attention, right? Training it. But if something's if something is grabbing your attention, often the you know, rather than overlaying a practice that you could or should be doing, right, letting yourself really feel the implications of that. And same when the mind gets caught up in any way, we often too quick we notice, oh mind's been going, oh I've got to get back to the breath. Right? And I often encourage people, stop, wait a minute, slow down the process. Let yourself feel the way you're fixated on that object. Let yourself really find out about the relationship that the mind has with object in that moment. Letting yourself feel the way that fixation has shut down the open field of awareness. The way that fixation has turned a kind of momentary fleeting phenomena into something that we give a great deal of solidity and reality and continuity. And then let yourself feel what it's like to just you know, unhook the attention, soften the contraction, feel the way in which consciousness re can re um, reopen in some way, become more spacious. And then, and then it's like ev any moment, any experience, any so-called distraction or problem really is, it's not just a figure of speech, it really is, oh, the, d the open door to, to a deeper sense of things. Rather than rejecting it, oh, I was caught up, or oh, the music's annoying me, in favor of some idea of where, where I, my practice could or should be. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Please. Just say your name uh, when you speak, if I don't know it. Oh, uh, Christine. Christine, yes, or please. Chris, whatever. Sure. Um, I, I've been plagued with some new ideas, so this is kind of a confused comment. That's okay. Um, in a meditation I learned a while ago, it says cultivate a reflect, ref, receptive awareness. Mm, mm. And I found myself using that 
mm-hmm. see if I could get some balance between what was floating through and what was steady. But in that process, I found that actually consciousness was arising, creating very specific um, you know, images, or actually rather unpleasant images, that um, if I could be aware, but have my conscience, conscious lie still, mm. I, I could go almost deeper than the diaphragm, but then I fell asleep. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I, I just got, I just, and I don't usually, but I started getting very sleepy. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I'm very kind of aware of the difference between awareness, you know, and consciousness, which to me at this point, which is probably pretty simple, is an image, I mean, it is a, an object. You know, the consciousness brings an object, and awareness is something different. It's mm-hmm. just responded to something different. And mm-hmm. um, I just had this thought that, God, it would be wonderful if I could, in my practice, go below consciousness. Good luck. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Does it happen? Well, <laughs> what or is it the wrong language? Well, it it uh, it's tricky, you know. I think it's important what you're noticing, and I really, you know, I want to acknowledge that and encourage you there. And the language is a little tricky because we may, n- I'm not sure how much shared basis we have for the language, like when whether we mean the same thing when we say consciousness and awareness, right? So I think we have to be careful in that. But whatever we mean, if you want to go below consciousness, what do you think you might find below consciousness? I have no idea. Right. I do, I, you I couldn't have, could you? No. Right. None of us could. No. Because if you go on below consciousness, what's what's going to be able to recognize anything? That, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So no. I would say, rather than trying to get below consciousness, which is sort of uh, an anomaly, a, 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 a kind of impossibility right because what we mean consciousness is the very capacity to to have experience right right that which like you say that which arises in conjunction with an object so the sight arises and seeing consciousness is there right a sensation arises and feeling consciousness is there right and between the object arising in the moment and the consciousness that recognizes it in the moment that makes what we call experience Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. There's actually, in the, in the, the Buddha breaks it down into five particular components. Right? And I don't say this to get technical, but just to track in your experience. So there's object arises, right? And then it has a, a, a flavor to it, right? Any object that arises, something that's seen or felt, has a, has a pleasant flavor or an unpleasant flavor or a neutral flavor, one or the other. Right? So there's the object plus the the impact, we could say, that it has. Then the perception that goes with it, right, and starts to involve memory, comes in, oh, I know, I know that thing. Or, what the hell is that thing he's got in his hand? And then uh, 
and Sankara, all the mental and emotional stuff that we do based on the object plus its feeling plus the perception of it, right? The, the way we, we start to kind of tell a, tell a story about it or we recognize it or we have a certain feeling about it or we get upset with it or whatever stuff that's going on. And then the fifth element is the consciousness that's allow the whole of those things to be formed into what we call experience. Right. Okay. So that, all of that can be tracked. And what's doing the tracking? Awareness. Oh. oh. Right. Okay. So, and then it's mysterious. At this point, I would say we can't then keep just breaking it down into neat categories because we say, well, if, if all of experience is made up of these five elements, right? they're called the, the khandas in Pali, the, the composites of experience, nama rupa, name and, name and form. Right? So name, nama rupa literally means name form, but free translation, experience. What's experience made out of? Objects appearing, their impact, the perception of them, the storytelling about them, and the consciousness of them. Right? Those are the five aggregates of experience. And Buddha says, I, get it, I can get into this a lot, I like this stuff. But it says, <laughs> What's, what characterizes a deluded mind? The five composites of experience affected by clinging. They cling to the object as something, cling to the feeling about it, or it's unpleasant, as if that's something real. Right, rather than a momentary affect. Cling to our perceptions, cling to consciousness, etc. And he says, what's a liberated mind? The same five composites of experience, unaffected by clinging. Okay. Right, so the object uh, met, the, sensa- the affect recognized, the perceptions, you know, clearly. The recognizing that there's consciousness. So rather than going below consciousness, we, just, we can track consciousness and its objects. Consciousness and its objects, right? Everyday language, experience. We track experience. And the very fact that we can track experience is this kind of, the, this kind of brilliance of having a human organism, right? That we're capable, we're not just conscious, right? Like everything that's alive is conscious in some way. We're not just conscious, but we have the capacity to actually kind of relate to our own consciousness, explore our own consciousness. And we call that capacity awareness. So I would say don't try to go below somewhere else. I think that's why I got so sleepy. Uh Uh-huh. Right, right. If you're trying to go below, go below, go below. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's what is, what's below consciousness? Unconsciousness. What do we another, what's another word for unconsciousness? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So rather than trying to go below, I would say just really stay in touch with the, pr- the very fact what you're noticing is, oh, I can track experience, right? Awareness can track what's happening. We can, and we can focus on the objects like we've been saying this morning, right? Breath, walking, etc. But there's not just the objects. It's a very narrow practice if you're only just focusing on objects. We're actually tracking the whole process of how experience forms and unforms. And, you, and the more we track that, the more we understand it, and the less fooled we are by it, and the more we're able to inhabit it freely, allowing experience to form and unform and tracking it, and somehow knowing the, this kind of mysterious, brilliant space of knowing, awareness, 
the chitta field in which all that experience is happening. Yeah. No, well, thank you. Right? And wonderful that, you, that there's kind of nuances, both of experience and of the capacity to track it. Oh, awareness. Oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Guillaume. Um, I was curious about the the formation of object. Like you think you're talking about tracking this whole process, and I found myself uh, hardly ever um, sort of witnessing the formation of things. It's always like after, like oh, where has my mind wandered? Uh, but I I find it um, rare to be here for the the, the arising <laughs> or the formation. Uh, whether it's like a, especially maybe mental, well, I guess when it's like external, it's like it's just happening in the present. There's nothing mm -hmm. you can do about it. But yeah, mm -hmm. does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, uh, you know, that's the the more intense an impact is, the more we notice it, right? So when it's intensely, like we were just saying about how attention gets pulled, something's intense pleasant we notice it if it's intensely unpleasant we notice it if it's neither one or the other we don't right so what's the sensation in your elbow like right now like dull nothing right? it just doesn't pull you can take your attention there like, oh yeah, I feel my elbow but it doesn't want to stay there There's nothing interesting it wants to go somewhere else so when something grabs the attention, you tend to notice it once the grab has already happened. And that's okay, right? Because then, then there's a grab there, and then that's when you can start to see, oh, how am I relating to it by habit? Right? Maybe grasping or pushing away or making a drama out of it. And then how can I relate to it more skillfully? Right? Oh, what if I soften my attention? What if I p actually feel for whatever a reactivity might be there, whatever storytelling I'm doing? What if I start to you know, question, is that storytelling true or necessary or helpful, etc. So that's one way, just you engage with experience at the point you notice it. What else can you do? You can't engage with experience before the point that you notice it. But in formal meditation, what you can do, particularly, you know, that's one of the things that makes breath a wonderful reference point for meditation, is is every couple of moments there's a beginning and ending. So really attend, particularly the beginning of the in-breath. Right? So the in-breath, in-breath turns to out-breath, and then at a moment out-breath stops. And it's really, really, I found it very, very helpful to really attend to that kind of still point at the end of the out-breath. And you can actually put intention into that, really intending to let everything... It may be a very momentary pause, or it may be that as you relax into it, that pause actually opens up quite a lot and can quite a lot. And then, but you practice staying and not doing any kind of mind production in that empty space. And then you really and you notice the beginning of the in-breath. It's like the universe reforms at the beginning of the in-breath. The sense of self reforms in-breath. Uh, oh yes, 
Here I go, expanding, and let me think of something, because that gives me a sense of self. I'll think of anything. Oh, that uh, sound out there, I don't really like that. Oh, yeah, and then now I'm breathing out, but I'm still, I've latched onto the sound, so I'm still thinking about that. And here I go again, and then you're off in it. And the point you remember and drop it, just use the out-breath, have a natural kind of, uh, let everything come to rest and stop. And then can I allow an in-breath without doing all that extra production? Oh, yeah. And then, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can. Now I'm really getting good at this stuff. Oh, shit, there's another mind production. Right. So you're attending to the beginnings, if you like feeling for the, the way you can uh, know beginnings in the breath and then in the way thought takes, uh, takes uh, life, comes to life in the breath. And to start to notice, do you, do you, do thought, are thoughts more likely to begin on an in-breath or an out-breath? Probably you'll notice there's more likely in one or the other. Right. And that, it's not just about the breath then, it's about you start to notice the nature of how experience takes birth. And then you, start, you'll, you'll, you can notice that in, in more other realms of life. Even if the awareness do, it doesn't get clear until the thought form or the reaction or whatever it is has actually taken birth, it's like even then in knowing about it, you know something about how it begun. You know that it just sort of arose out of conditions. You know that it's just a combination of object and impact and perception and all that. So you tend to just not take it so seriously or not take it so personally just experience forming and unforming and then, and then the whole process starts to seem more fluid more playful more malleable much less personal drama involved in it yeah yeah thank you uh, yeah just behind you so I, I was trying the vastness and then the inspection and actually I tried it with the music also Mm -hmm. So I was trying to give like the music a bigger container so I would be less hooked into it. Mm. But it didn't work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my question really is, is that a valid technique to try to do what you were doing, what you were suggesting we do? Um, Even though it didn't work with the music. <sighs> as a reminder to like... I would rather than, I mean, the reason I'm hesitating is I would just, maybe I'm just being pernickety about the language, but I would, I would see it rather than as a process than a technique, you know? If we apply a technique, it's sort of like, oh, let me do this and I'll get that kind of result, right. you know? And then if you get that kind of result, great, but if you don't, you, like you say, oh, it didn't work, right? But rather it's just a process of just, a, of just that sense of you're basically being as interested in you can, as you can in how experience works. But I think some of the setup of meditation, it's more like oh, if we apply this technique, we'll get some result, right? And so we have an idea of what should be happening. I should be less caught up in thought. I should be more present with the breath. And now Martin says I should be have a fine attention and a spacious awareness at the same time. Right. So rather than it, that sense of it as a technique, it's just a process, right? I'm not trying to make anything particular happening. I'm really just getting as close as I can to what is happening. How is my mind? Oh, it's totally caught up right now. Okay, well, let me... That's my way in. Or, oh, it's fussing with the music. Okay, so that's my way in. That's how the vastness is created? Well, 
That's that process of seeing, right? Even you, you don't necessarily get to create vastness, right? But you may well get to see how you're shutting out a sense of vastness by being caught up in the music. And if you see how you're shutting out the vastness, and not just see it actually, but feel it, because there's a certain energetic contraction, right, that you're fixating. If I really see that I'm doing that to the music, then inevitably I'm going to start to think, is that necessary? Is that helpful? And if I feel that I'm doing that, oh, I'll, th- then you know, naturally there'll be a softening. And then we find, oh, in that softening, there is space around what's happening. And thank God I don't need to create it. Yeah. Okay. So our friend here, and then I'll just say I'm just aware of the same old thing of lots of male voices and uh, that easily speak up in rooms. So um, please don't feel shy. Go ahead. But uh, my name but is Paul. Um, yeah. I actually, initially in the beginning, the music was distracting to me, mm. but then again. My thoughts were also distracting to me prior because I was thinking about all the sufferings of the week and I couldn't really focus on my breath. Um, so I gave the music a chance and I connected with it uh, because some of the beats were uh, like dancehall reggae and I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. And so initially I was so caught up with like suffering and the dukkha and everything like that and that I forgot that there is still joy to be found and I allowed that music to infiltrate me and I softened my face and mm. I started to just sway to the music, mm. to the rhythm. Um, and I was fine with that and I allowed that to allow me to find my breath again and just uh, embrace the diversity that's in me and my experience and just be content with that or just being okay with being different and just, yeah, it allowed me to actually get back to my breath and then I, I released right. and I went back to Beautiful. So you actually, you know, you've, you've found your way into a sense right. of presence and intimacy right. and connection without trying to, because you weren't trying to find it somewhere else than what was right. happening. Right. right. You let yourself find it within what was happening. Right. Yeah, 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 beautiful. The Buddha talks about practicing the Dharma in accordance with the Dharma. Right. In other words, we're practicing in accordance with the way things are, rather than practicing the Dharma in accordance with our ideas. Right? An idea says, oh, meditation should be like this. But the Dharma, the way things are in the moment, is, okay, dance or reggae <laughs> meditation. Doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, okay. Please. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I appreciate your comment about encouraging females, because I tend not to talk very much publicly. Um, I think I just wanted to share a comment of something I noticed, and it was, you know, I tend to have a very, well, I do have a very discursive mind, and I tend to be that person that focuses on the detail and Mm. fine attention and then Mm. cling to it, as Mm. you were saying. And the opportunity that you offer to, <clears throat> to invite space, initially it was felt very like challenging and heady and I was resistant. Um, but the more I 
as I was practicing, what I began to notice was um, almost I, I began to experience a sense of uh, interconnectedness or interdependence. Um, for example, I was my object became uh, my disease I was feeling within my body, and when I when I allowed myself to open up, I realized that the chair and the earth and all the people in the room and were actually sort of holding me, and, and mm. it felt really, really powerful. And well, yeah, I'll just stop there. Mm, beautiful. So thank you. Yeah, beautiful. That's one of the um, one of the kind of inherent qualities of spaciousness. Right? Spaciousness sounds like something that's empty, right? That doesn't have. You know, it sounds like the opposite of quality, but it's not dead space, it's a live space. And depending on various things, depending on how we sense into it, and depending on just which energetic center we're sensing into it, it, it has different qualities that come online. And one of those qualities is the kind of inherent sort of, um, the sort of deepest, most fundamental sense of support, right? It's like life is doing all this. And normal senses, oh, I'm doing it. I got up this morning and then I came here and now I'm sitting and I'm doing my practice and I'm going for lunch and it's all like, you know, we like to assume kind of ownership and control of our lives. But when you let go a little of that fixation and you allow yourself to be informed by the space in which all this is happening, you might find Maybe I can let go of a lot of the responsibility, a lot, and then oh, and then everything. You know, the fact that breath's breathing, and that body is feeling, and that thought is thinking, everything becomes a confirmation of the way in which actually life's sort of animating us, and that, that there's something incredibly trustworthy about that. We tend to invest our trust or look to trust in all kinds of quite untrustworthy places. But that fundamental trustworthiness of being able to settle into uh, the basic field of knowing. And at least all the while you're alive, at least, I'm not sure about the rest yet, but at least all the while you're alive, that is fundamentally trustworthy. Regardless of circumstance. Yeah. Beautiful. Please. I don't know if you're starting to get hungry, but uh, there's well, there's these rich questions. We'll stay a little. Yeah. Hi, my name is Adelia, and I'm. I was just going to share my experience in the two meditations. Please. Um, so the music. I can't tell you how many times in apartment dwelling I've heard music like that, and it's filled filled me with rage and a sense of powerlessness and violation. Mm. Um, but like Paul, today I accepted it. You know, it is here and it was present. And, and like him, it got me in touch with my breath. And it was a way that vast view, the music over there, and the fine attention were together to bring me into a meditative state. And mm. then I also wanted to say that the vast view and fine attention um, lately in my practice have helped me helped with sleepiness because when I start to go under I tune into the bigger auditory wor world 
and it kind of brings me up out of falling asleep, mm -hmm. and I can kind of observe what the drowsiness is feeling like and coming on, and I'm getting a greater distance from it so that it's not taking over. So it's still a process, but. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It sounds like part of what happens is that in giving that sense of space, right, that, which, that space in which experience is coming and going, the space in which the sound is coming and going, right? If we're fixed on the space, it's all about whether I like it or not. Uh, if, sorry, if we're fixed on the music, it's all about whether I like it or not. <coughs> if we're recognizing the space, well, the space in which the music is going isn't itself caught up in the music, right? And the same with drowsiness, which is you know, initially not so easy to see, but the, that which is aware of drowsiness isn't itself drowsy, right? And the knowing of drowsiness is bright. The mind state might be very drowsy, heavy, droopy, thick, soupy. But even in the midst of the, you know, this, the fact, a moment's knowing that, hold on, this drowsiness is known, it's seen. The seeing of it isn't drowsy. And then there's the reestablishment of space, and the drowsiness can't actually... Um, it can't really sustain in the light of that clarity. Because of the drowsiness, of, even though it feels very much like tiredness, like sleepiness, it's usually not actually that. If you're tired, you don't sit there going like this. Right? You just feel all that sort of itchiness in the eyes, the kind of the, the sort of certain... You, know, you can feel tiredness is different. Drowsiness is a particularly kind of soupy mind state that gets hold of us in meditation often linked to, we're used to being stimulated a lot. And then we sit down in meditation. Oh, nothing worth staying around for. <laughs> you know, the stimulation drops and the energy level drops as well. So that, just like you described, you know, the, the establishing of that space, the, the seeing of the drowsiness is, is, a, is actually the most efficient and skillful way to... To, one can work with drowsiness in different ways. Right? You can open your eyes, stand up. I encourage people to sit like this for a little while. But the, the most efficient way is to just see that the seeing of it, the space around it, is, is independent from it, even though the mind state itself can be very heavy. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, okay, one more, and then well, please. Thanks. Hi, I'm Abby. It's a bit of a follow-up because I was working with a, a decent amount of heaviness, mm. of sleepiness, and I guess I'm curious, I feel like a combination of a lot of what was talked about c became a part of my practice, and I see how I was battling in a way, I, because I was tapping into the auditory vast fine, but then the object became the heaviness, so I was working with that. I see there was a little bit of conflict between that, but I'm curious about what you were just talking about. I, I, I was able to know that I was in that mind state, yet it's, it's by nature d dull, you know? So I'm, it, I'm just kind of curious, and I judge it. I have a lot of feelings about mm. it. Um, mm. And I'm curious about that play when the, the nature of that experience is itself de-energizing in a way, or, or, or dull, dense, 
So I wasn't getting that pop in my awareness of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know what the question is, but there is something about noticing just that the trickiness of it, that, that by its nature, it, it, it wasn't allowing me the um, energy to really work with it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, okay. that's its nature. That's right. what it does, right? It sometimes does it, like we were just saying, uh, just as a habitual response to a lack of stimulation. Uh -huh. When stimulation drops, and we're used to a lot of stimulation, we tend to react in one of two ways. One is you go dull, and the other way is you get restless or bored. Right? Oh, there's no stimulation. I need something more interesting than just sitting here. Right? So that's one, one set of conditions that gives rise to that dullness. The other thing is, is sometimes it... it for some, it's a kind of habitual um, way of just shutting down a little from being with what's difficult or uncomfortable, right? So again, some of us go more to distraction as a, as a strategy for that. Some of us might go to fantasy. Some of us might go to complaint, right? We find something to focus on that's wrong and bad and stupid. And, and some of us just, just kind of go under a little bit. So... It may be that that's part of what you're finding unsettling or unsatisfactory about it. And I'm particularly curious that you say you've got a lot of views about it, a lot of judgment about it. Please tell me more. <laughs> well, as you were describing all those ways, we, I, I'm, I wanted to be like, D, E, all of the above. I mean, right, I do all right, of yeah. So I've sat enough long sits that I was able to bring in, okay, this is just what it is, this happens, this might be just this like a longer period, um, but I think I'm valuing a brighter, clearer mind because that's where I often hang out and I'm mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. maybe hyper-engaged sometimes. Um, and so it seems like a flaw, you know, that right. there's just yeah. a, a heavy value judgment yeah. that it's yeah. really not a great I way. should be bright. Yeah. I should be clear yeah. in some way. Right? Of course, it's totally natural to prefer brightness and clarity over dullness and soupiness. Right? Totally. But then it's, it's an overstepping of that preference to make one somehow, you know, one's more pleasant than the other, but you're making one more right than the other. And to the extent that the one is more right, the other one is more wrong. Right? And then, you know, as, as soon as you've made something wrong in your experience, you've got no capacity, it's impossible to really kind of explore it and feel into it and make room for it. Because the very making it wrong is basically, you know, you shouldn't be here and I don't want you. Right? So... Sometimes I think, hashtag no wrong experience, <laughs> you know, the, the, there is no mind state that shouldn't be here. Meditation, it need never be about excluding something from our mind. We might really want to, having something having arisen, to leave it alone, not pick it up, even 
take attention to somewhere else, right? Rather than staying with something that has a, has a kind of, is, is a, you know, cultivates unhelpful and unhealthy r- responses. But even that, even the kind of the, the most, the weirdest or cruelest or most debauched or whatever, the, the, the most secret, dark and shameful thoughts that sometimes come, it's not wrong. It's not that it shouldn't arise. There's, there's room. That's the nature, right, of a genuinely, openly spacious consciousness. There's room for it all. No thought you shouldn't think. No feeling you shouldn't have. Plenty of ways we don't want to act out on them. Right. But that the fundamental sense is, oh, soupy mind. So, t- so as much as the soupy mind is there, just what really maybe needs, not some, just some attention, but some care is the, the tendency to reject it. And to see if you can just bring it back online. I'm dull. Right now I'm dull. Well, have a good nap if you're dull. Right? For some, that's actually the most important way to work with dullness. You just give full permission. <laughs> you know. my, my teacher used to say, and people would ask about dullness, he said, I've had some wonderful naps in this seat. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, just say that by means of permission. It's not, not wrong to have a dull mind. Okay. All right. So let's let's stop here for lunch, and um, you know, you might attend if you maybe some of you are staying here for lunch. Maybe you're going out into the street. But just just uh, in the light of you know the wor- what we've been pointing to in the kind of formality of practice and exploring together, just to track that thread a little bit in the informality of lunchtime. You know, you know Manhattan's a really interesting place like that. I live right out in the countryside, and so I'm always kind of amazed by the scale here. Right? And, you know, the scale of high buildings, the intensity of activity and color and movement and action and sound etc etc and you know there's there's so much going on on the street that pulls it towards the particular but at the same time you've got these extraordinary verticals everywhere that can also serve to kind of as a reminder and a pull to the kind of wide open space so just just giving attention to how both are held moment by moment, on, or to how attention moves in one or other direction in any given moment, and to how you might just play with what pulls at the attention so as to establish, when you're pulled into detail, how can you establish a little space around detail, for example? So, and with all of that, please enjoy your lunch. And... Um, We'll come back here at 2.20, maybe 2.30. I want to give you enough people, sometimes are aghast in the US because we give long lunch, I give long lunch breaks, but I come from France where (laughs) I only give people an hour and a half for lunch, they're going to protest it's not long enough. We've got to, hold on, we've got to find somewhere to eat and then we've got to eat at least three courses and then we've got to have a nap afterwards. (laughs) So... Um, I also want to support you in having a nap, you know. It's good if your dull mind is there. It's also, you know, just the accumulated intensity. Like we were saying about the, with the ch- change in intensity, this is a day of a lot less intensity 
then you probably had Monday to Friday, right? <laughs> so it's quite normal, especially after eating, energy level drops, certain tiredness is there. And just a few moments of horizontal practice. Uh, very, very good. Good for the nervous system. Again, my teacher used to say after lunch, he said, I'm just going for 20 minutes of the horizontal posture. <laughs> and I spend a lot of my life jet lags. Like this is part of a six-week trip. I was in California last week. I was in Bhutan and India the week before that. And then sort of... And the, the best thing I feel I can, can do for my general just nervous system health and kind of regulation is just a little bit middle of the day, lie down, just let things recede. It's another way of just recovering a kind of space. So if you, all of that to just sell you the idea of a nap. And if after eating then, uh, well, this room will leave as a quiet space. You might want to be quiet over lunch or you might want to hang out with each other, eat with each other, talk with each other. But let's let this room stay quiet so that those who want to after eating can come and lie down in here. And then I'll ring the bell uh, just before 2.30 for us to carry on. So that's about an hour and a half. And just before you go, I realize I've got to lay my propaganda on you. So I've got a lot of postcards, and I'll put them out the end. There's one for the Dharma Center, the meditation center where I live in and teach in France, which is very beautiful. We have a great program of retreats. Come along. There's one for the Mindfulness Teacher Training, a year-long program that I run with Mark Coleman. And the next one starts in September, and it's uh, based in Europe. We alternate between Europe and California. There's one for my online course called I See You Mara, from Inner Critic to Inner Freedom. And it's, to, it's, a, it's a, uh, actually six weeks online of just working with kind of self-talk and the kind of the tendency to treat ourselves badly. And then there's also postcards for Worldwide Insight, which is the live Dharma class every Sunday, which I'm the founding teacher of, but there's plenty of the of well-known luminaries of the insight meditation world that show up there on Sundays. So I'll leave those piles of postcards. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.